Okay, so since uh, Ala just got up from a nap and Alexandra just got up, I think we will start with good morning. Good morning. I'm not Amir. And I am Ala Sofrahan. This is TechPoint Charlie, and we have a guest today, Alexandra. Hi, Alex. Good morning. I'm Alexandra Poon. Good morning. And you're not in Berlin. No, I'm in San Francisco, actually. And I miss Berlin a lot. Yeah. So that's literally morning for you. It's literally 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning on the 4th of July weekend. Oh, yeah. So happy nice. holiday, I guess. Happy holidays, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we have a, a new topic today. Um, I think something we actually haven't discussed really before, which I'm really excited about. Um, so we're going to talk about functional teams, functional management, sorry. I don't have a lot of experience in it as myself, so I think I've actually seen a lot of people do it, working with this, but I haven't done it myself. What about you, Ala? Uh, I have no recollection of the term even. I don't know what functional management is. So maybe, Alexandra, you can introduce yourself a bit and tell us a bit more about it since we seem a bit clueless today. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So functional management. Hmm. Okay, a few words on myself. So I work for King, the maker of Candy Crush Saga. And my role is somewhat unique because the team I'm in, we sit between King and all of the big companies where we publish our games, like Apple, Google, Amazon, Samsung, Microsoft, all of them. And in my role, I work with both internal teams and also with teams at Google, at Amazon, at Samsung. And I facilitate conversations. I facilitate projects happening between the companies. And I have stakeholders on both sides of the discussion. Okay. So it's, it's not a, the most traditional functional management role. Um, I, I would say a functional manager is somebody who is operating at a pretty high level, they're already pretty experienced in whatever they're doing, but they don't necessarily have direct reports. They will lead projects or they will bring people together for projects and they will coordinate them, but they're not their boss. To okay. so, I mean, so we know product managers and I guess when I was a tech lead, I was also a functional manager in that, under that definition. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were, I think so. Um, I think in my role is also something that I change projects very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that in the three years that I've been doing this job, I've had at least three jobs. Wow. Um, so once, so once a project is over, the team that worked on it pretty much goes back doing their normal day-to-day -day stuff. They're all across different functions, and then I work on a different project where I bring different people together to work mm. on something and deliver that project. Okay, so that's not like a product manager, I would say. <laughs> They're usually like stuck to a specific product and you're changing basically. Um, every time. But it sounds like they're long-term projects. Most of them are, some of them aren't. The, um, because out of it is also negotiation that uh, I have to do. It, it makes the project seem longer, but once we get into execution phase, they're not that long. There may be a couple of months. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, how, how does it differ from project manager in this case? Because it sounds uh, also overlapping here. It is a bit overlapping and having project management skills does help a lot. So I would say a project manager is responsible for timeline, when something will get done, who will do something and communicating. Whereas mm -hmm. in my case, I do the following. 
I negotiate with the external partner. I align all of the internal teams on what they want to achieve out of this project. I find the right people internally to build this project. I work with those teams. They're the experts. I defer to them the building part or what they need to do. I just make sure that what they're doing is communicated to stakeholders, both leadership in my company, but also to external partners. I facilitate any conversation that they need to have in case mm-hmm. they need support from the external partner. And then wrapping up the project and summarizing the achievements, uh, measuring it, the success, and communicating it internally to leadership. Mm-hmm. So it's that plus a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds uh, like the this this um, part of having an external partner uh, that communicates with internal teams and that those teams kind of form for for certain project for for a given period of time sounds crucial to or unique to this position maybe in a way. Um, so maybe that's maybe where it is different from all other management we, we think about usually? I think when I was working in, in an agency, I was also doing kind of this account management, which is mm-hmm. being in charge of, of having the external um, okay. relationship, but um, effectively internally, I was also needed to align and negotiate and make sure that, so uh, it, it, you're not just talking to, because once you are, you were basically the voice of your, of your clients within the company. Um, and so mm-hmm. you then represent them internally or trying to explain to people what mm-hmm. the needs and expectations are. And so I, I think that's actually quite similar to what account managers are doing in agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a much larger scale probably. And, and here in this case, these are not clients or partners. So it's a different type of project work, it sounds like. Yeah, I would have guessed that in, in, in agencies, it, it would be like more, more typical as, as a role, but uh, it, also seems that's what I want to know. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. uh, maybe you, Alex, have a, have a, some experience with that. It's is it spreading in other types of companies because of this uh, trend of, or maybe let's say, um, strategy of integration. Like our products are going after integrations between different different products, and then you have this kind of communication maybe between different companies to enable that. Is that something you experienced, or and how in general how? popular or uh, uh, common this role these days now? So I think the role is becoming a lot um, more common in sort of strategy teams because, for example, if you need your big company but, or your growing company, you're doing the things that you're used to doing, but you know they need to try something new. Pushing a new project through might be difficult given the current setup of the company and the current politics of the organization. So generally what you do, you might bring in one person who has experience driving projects forward and have that one person work with everybody in the company with all the functions to pull them together on different projects. So that person would be estimating the opportunity cost, the ROI on a specific project and identifying who would work on that and then get the people together and work on it and deliver it. And they might be working on more than just one project. They might be working on several. Like I work on multiple projects at the same time as well. So I think this is one way this sort of role is becoming more popular. I think in many companies, you end up having uh, project producers or product managers becoming- Or delivery managers mm-hmm. sometimes called. I guess, yeah. So I think these people sometimes become 
a functional manager by the nature of their job and their skill set, where they mm. see an opportunity that nobody's pursuing and they just rally the troops and try to make it into a project and move it forward. The, the way you describe it, it does sound a lot like the fix we need to <laughs> to apply in many tech companies for management. Yeah. <laughs> management. Like maybe that's the direction management should go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've had experience. My, um, my husband was telling me of this colleague of his, and she was amazing. She was a PM, and she didn't have a team. But somehow, she, she worked with all the developers, and there were like 800 developers. Wow. And somehow, she wow. was always, when she was in a meeting, the meeting went smoothly they had it they had clear goals and what the next steps would be she would bring people together and somehow these things magically happened and once that person left it was like chaos it's like oh my gosh who's helping us now because we're 800 developers mm. and we we don't manage like this yeah i think what's unique maybe um about functional management and i see this also a lot with product managers so i think that's uh, uh topics that maybe we've kind of uh, touched on very from the side before but is that you need a specific very specific skills from very early on because developers can still get qu quite a yeah. lot of the skills and relationship that they've built within the dev org um, and they still have quite a lot of shared language and i think for people who are in functional management because you're describing you're working with so many teams on a, on a specific uh, project or, or in general, I would say also on a, on a product, you're working with so many different teams, so many different skill sets, like you probably need earlier on these more uh, unique skills mm -hmm. to help you drive like information communication across. So could you tell us a bit more about what do you think someone who's coming into this role, what would they need uh, in order to succeed? Because I don't, I don't think it's obvious to everybody how you get started in this without having like 10 years experience. Yeah, I think it's very complicated. I kind of landed, landed in this role by accident. It was something that was interesting to me. It was interesting to me, the role itself, but I didn't realize all the complexities behind it when I got in. So I think the biggest thing that you need in this sort of a role is to be a people person in, a, in being able to build relationships very quickly and effectively. I think most of my work got done through relationships. I get access to most of the information that I get access to that is sensitive through relationships. And I have been in numerous meetings where I know that things are being discussed in the meeting, but I know that there's pre-meeting side conversations and people using the relationships to already get buy-in for what they're doing and get allies mm -hmm. into that meeting. So when they all come together, it moves very smoothly and it feels like people are on board and sold, but they were sold days before the meeting. Yeah. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's not just people skills, it's like strategic people skills. Like <laughs> Strategic people skills, yes. Right? So I think coming into this role, you need to be prepared to really work relationships and build them. And mm -hmm. beyond that, you do need to be very organized. I think having some project management or uh, project management experience is helpful because if you and because the nature of the role, the role is that you will be working with different people from different teams and you have to you're seen as the leader because you brought a project in so you need to make sure that all those people are on track but you're not the manager so you need to have soft power or influence to make sure that they're getting their work done on time and that they're clear on their expectations um, and I think ultimately 
you do need to be able to be flexible in what you do because you might work on projects that you have no experience of working on. You might have found a good opportunity and it makes total sense, but nobody in the company wants to be the leader of that project. So you have to be, and you have to change what you do. So you have to adapt and you can't be afraid of this change. You kind of have to fully embrace it and just dive right in and do it. I, I can give an example from my experience. This yeah. was the most eye-opening. I worked on a project where I negotiated a contract. I was the producer for a game team. I was the brand coordinator for a, a brand campaign, a huge brand campaign, while doing my day-to-day -day job. So I had literally three jobs on one project. And it was difficult, but it's a sort of... Thing that people expect of you to be able to do in this sort of role. I mean, there's something that sounds a little bit about it um, that sounds like, um, despite you are in a very big organization, it sounds a bit more of this like early startup role where you're wearing many hats and you do the things just because no one else is there to do it and you're the person in the right moment at the right oh time. Oh my God, so yes. You're going to pick this yes. up. So it still has yes. a bit more of this startup kind of work vibe, right? Yeah, you're so right. It does have a startup work vibe. Totally. And that, you know, I mean, for some people sounds daunting. And for some people, this is like, come on, I want more of this. Like, this is exactly, yeah, what, exactly. They, like, what they like about I work. <laughs> I know. It's like, so when I was in a startup, I totally liked this vibe and everybody around you works the same way. Yeah. If you end up being in a bigger company, like thousands of, of employees and you are part of one of these teams, it's awesome because you still get that very fast paced sense of work and you're delivering things and you can measure your value. Hopefully you can measure your value. Um, I recommend every team that should be able to measure their value. Mm -hmm. But then people around you might not be working on the same wavelength. They might be in a very exactly. corporate environment and you need to be able to work between startup and corporate. And, and then that going is... back to what you were saying with soft power, like how do you then, I'm sure you're seeing a lot more resistance than, than the person doing a similar thing in a small company where everybody's in the, in this craziness and messiness, like you are yeah. living a, a kind of a crazy schedule around people who are very much having their set work and why are you yeah. interrupting me with your ideas? So how do, how do you end up juggling this? This sounds really tricky to me. Yeah, so... It's tricky working in a big com company because you might be a startup in your own team, but the people around you might be very, very corporate or working on a corporate track pretty much. The way we sell them on projects is we're very organized. So for example, when I work on a project is start with a business case, have a clear deck presenting the opportunity, like opportunity what is the market context, the opportunity? What is the, the cost for us to change? How much time would it take us to change and who would work on this? And basically from this very buttoned up business case, we would take it to leadership, socialized across different areas of leadership of teams that would be involved in this mm -hmm. and have their, I don't know, VP give their buy-in. And with the VP's buy-in, then you go to the team okay, that's and you sell them on this. Or that's how it happens in some cases. In other cases, you have this business case. You go to the team that will be executing it that you know would drive a lot of value to them and you get their buy-in. And when the team's buy-in, then you can go to leadership and go like, hey, we found this amazing opportunity and this team also wants to deliver on it and this is how long it will take and it works with their roadmap. 
So let's do it. So we do, we work both ways, mm-hmm. down pushing up or up pushing down. Um, it depends on the project, but I think the goal to be able to do this long term is that to make sure that everybody is aligned and that you are not forcing a team or pushing the team to do something that doesn't make sense for them. I think to be successful as a service team, you need to be able to show value to the teams that you're serving and be able to do this all the time. And you're not there to change the roadmap. You're not there to tell them you need to be doing this to make more money. You should be giving them an option. I brought you this option. It's up to you to take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And then work with them to be successful so, in that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's crazy times you, you will be having day to day. So are you like, do you find yourself being in the position of really making the decision of which business case you choose and what is going to at least appear to be the most valuable thing to be targeting right now or working on right now? Or is this something like you kind of present all the business cases to some presented to the person who needs to buy in first and then they buy in and then you continue from there like are you also making a business decision in that sense yes um i think you always have to be making these decisions so i think one of the values for a service team is that you need to be very focused if you're going to a team to tell them of projects they're already busy they have their day-to-day job and they their packed roadmap they don't have the time to spend on deciding between a b c and d it's up to you to come to them with, I have this project that I think is the best for you. I don't want to be thinking of all the other opportunities. So in my role, I would be assessing all the different projects. And if something to me doesn't seem that it makes sense, and it doesn't make sense in terms of effort to implement something or in additional revenue from it, I will not even bring it up. Mm-hmm. There's no point in taking mm-hmm. people's time by talking about projects that don't really make sense. Cool. And, and to get to this decision, do you also like kind of pre-talk to some of these people? Because sometimes, you, as you mentioned, you might not have the expertise yeah. uh, in, in a technology or something to get that sense. Exactly. So this is where relationships are very important. What I would, mm-hmm. So to build a business case, I, will, I would map out all that I can from my experience, from what I find, find online, from what I can estimate using data. I use a lot of data in my work to build these cases. Mm-hmm teams but then eventually i will have to go talk to people from different teams and ask like hey if we were to make this change how long would it take for you to make it how hard is this for you to make it and then people will give you their time estimate which is super valuable because if you have a time estimate for a team that means you have a clear cost at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and also while you're doing all this back channeling you will already kind of figure out if a team is interested or not in doing something So you're kind of doing half the work already by having the side conversations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's funny that it's called functional manager because I would have expected to be called cross-functional manager. (laughs) But I guess the functional meaning something else here that you are actually getting things done in that sense more than you have a certain function, right? Yeah, you're getting things done. Having a different meaning here. I I like that, getting things done. That is pretty much what Mm -hmm. the job is. And I think like what we're saying, it makes sense. Like I think startups, when you're a small group of people that you can still all talk to each other and bounce Mm -hmm. ideas and decide on something and move on it and execute. That is great. You don't need something like this. But I think Mm -hmm. at this stage where you're growing a lot and you're more than 20 people, you already cannot all of you be in the same conversation at the same time. You will have separate groups working 
And as soon as that happens, it will become challenging the more you hire people to Mm -hmm. deliver things because you will have to get the brand of your team, the teams around you. And as you're saying, the CEO or the CTO, they might be doing a few jobs at the same time. There's things in their heads that they don't have time to put it on paper to clarify what they want from their teams. So you as an employee, you have to guess what the the C-level wants. And that becomes very difficult because you can't read their mind and they can't tell you everything because they're doing a million other things. So getting mm-hmm. this clarity of what goals are, what we're trying to achieve so that you can understand how to model your work is very difficult. But yeah, and I, I can imagine it could also be quite frustrating because it you're saying oh we suggest options to them but at the end you're also kind of at the like you have soft power and they have hard power right they can decide exactly that they're not yeah and you might be working on something that you think you know these five teams should sign up for it and it's a tremendous opportunity and they're have other things going on at the time or they haven't fully understood it and and so you might not be able to sell it to the level that you think this mm-hmm. would provide that sounds to me also potentially very frustrating especially if not everybody understands oh, yeah. like the value so th- is that a this this happen like is that common for a project like you think it would go like perfectly you would do it this way um and you've talked to everybody so you feel like you probably have the best pictures but but not everybody kind of aligns exactly how you want it is that like a regular it, thing or a kind of just smooth sailing most of the time it's it's regular occurrence i'm saying maybe 50 50 wow. and this is where this is where actually ala brought it up earlier I do have to go through opportunities and say no to a lot of them before I even go to teams. Right. This is part of the, the job because if I would go with all of them, I would get 90% no's and that would also mm-hmm. take away from my influence because I'd be somebody who's taking, who's taking time, not bringing value. So mm-hmm. you have to be very ruthless in cutting projects that don't make sense. And when it comes to business cases and going and saying to different teams, it's almost painful sometimes because I might be working on a presentation for a month wow. or more, keep adding information to it. I mean, I'm, not, I'm working on other things at the same time, not just this one. Still. But there's a lot of iteration going through. You, the first job that you put together, you think like, oh, this makes all sense. And you show it to a colleague and be like, that doesn't make sense. This can be shortened up. Mm-hmm. This, can, this is too many words on this slide. This is, the, the level of iterations you go through each presentation is pretty intense. And at the end of it, you're probably left with like at most five slides and not out of text on them. And yeah, you're hoping that people understand it and it's up to you to try to get people on board. And also this is where it's important to have strong leadership in your team and the senior people in the team to have good relationships with the executives because you also need to sell them. So it becomes an effort where I will be socializing with maybe the team that will be working on it and making sure that they're on board. But at the same time, my VP will be socializing it with other VPs to make sure that they're comfortable with the idea and that they are seeing a value there so that at the end where we can all come together and work on it. But sometimes it's just a no. Sometimes you get, you might work on something for three months negotiating your partner to a higher dollar value that they provide you. But then at the end of the day, you might get a no from executive because reasons and that sort of thing happens and you just have to move, move on. Yeah. Yeah. And 50-50, it seems like a quite a, like 
good rate actually yeah. for 50% success doesn't sound too bad I mean I <laughs> that's I, ju- I, I, ju- I just uh, say 50, 50 but I need to think about it because yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot of parts that we don't talk about that I don't talk about so I might know of different things that mm. we could be doing but I would not always bring them up because I know they would be dead on arrival yeah that's interesting from from a, like that's where I wanted to I guess frame my question around it like so we talked a little bit from perhaps what what the role ideally should look like and do right but from your like practical experience i mean I, we all, you also mentioned lots of practical experience but how do you think others you work with perceive this project first from how well is it recognized do you think like your effort and your work because lots of it happens in, happen in the background mm-hmm. or too many people happen in the background yeah. except for those in the back channels and the second thing is how much pushback do you get from some people? Like I'm taking myself as an example, a developer who might be interested in the business. Oh yeah. If I'm not part of the back channel, I will miss, I will not see the work you have done in selecting. And then sometimes, unless I learn about you, I will learn what you're doing and maybe build trust. I will be very skeptical about like, have you actually thought about all these things? Yeah. And probably you've done, but I'm not in the back channel, so I don't know. And I can imagine some kind of conflicts on mm-hmm. that level. How did you see oh, that? Yeah, yeah, all the time, all the time. You're bringing yeah. up such good points. So in terms of a visibility of the work, this is something that I always struggle with and I'm trying to get better. It's um, always be communicating. So I think it's very important to build a habit that support teams communicate to leadership and also to the teams internally what they work on and what they achieve. One thing that I've, I've seen successful is we send monthly newsletters with what we have done on different uh, projects or with different teams and what sort of value we have driven. And I think whenever you communicate in writing your team's achievements for that month or that quarter, whichever way you want to communicate, it's important to add the value you have driven to the company. Always communicate the value you're driving. Um, that makes it very clear to people that you are a value center, not just a cost center. And you can even switch perception. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important that a support team has clearly aligned goals with the company. So if the company goal is to, I don't know, grow 10x revenue, I'm just giving a crazy mm-hmm. example. Sounds pretty no, common to me. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as, as, as a support team, you should be thinking like, okay, all the process I'm driving, they should have an incremental dollar value. So you should always be communicating incremental dollar value you're bringing in. Mm. And also, when you're talking to people, those relationships, relationships that you've built, always be communicating what you're doing, how much you're driving, yeah. make sure that people know about you. So then, relationships are super important. But then do this. I understand you correctly that if like the company goal would be like increased reach 10x, then you would be communicating in how much you helped increase reach. Yep. So yeah, yep. so it's really aligned with how, what, what is the general thing everybody should be working towards? Yes, uh, aligned with what the company is working on and also communicate what you're doing. So maybe on a quarterly basis say, oh, our, maybe say like beginning of the year, the company goal is increased reach 10x then let's say as a support team, you should break down what can we do to support that? Yeah. Put it clearly in your goals, make them measurable, and then on every quarter report how you're going against those goals and how you're delivering against those goals. So also communicate the company 
the actual things you're working on on a monthly basis, but also communicate how you're doing against your own goals and driving you each or whatever the company goal is at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I also want to go back to what Tala asked. Mm-hmm. Um, you said sometimes working with developers is challenging because they will ask, like, have you even yeah. thought about this? What if I'm not in the back channel? How do you do this? It's super hard. Um, so <laughs> it's super hard. <laughs> This is I I know my from myself I give sometimes so much more time. <laughs> no, of course. Even product managers because because of this nature, it's like it's not always distrust. Really, it's not about that. I, it's more like you want to understand. I, exactly, you understand. want to understand because you think the more you understand, the better you can perform. Right? Exactly, yeah, and also you're wondering like, yeah. is this business person who has no idea of technology know what they're talking about? Because exactly, if yeah. they're gonna throw me into work on this crazy project that actually has no end inside and just causing headache tech debt, it's my job mm-hmm. to defend the tech org from this thing. It totally, totally right. makes sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. So mm-hmm. the, when I work on a project, I make sure that on the back channel, tech is included. So we don't, I don't, basically, this is hard. Basically to make sure that everybody <laughs> is aligned and everybody has a say. So it's a very, like I would say, flat org structure because you need to make sure that you have consensus. Otherwise, one person can just completely ruin your project happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's if the project entails any sort of development work, you need to go and talk to the team that will be building it. Like, how much is this for you effort? Does this make sense to you? And if- Which you mentioned in the beginning, it's an important step to get their buy-in as yeah, well. Yeah, so it might be talked to their producer, their PM, but also might be talked just to a developer understanding Mm. does this make sense and having that person part of the process so it's something that is a tech endeavor that takes actual dev people working on something it is important to talk to probably their manager beforehand to estimate can this be done does this what how much time would this take for you we will be weighing this time against all of the value we're driving in terms of reach for example and see if it makes sense. Also, the tech implementation, that is up to your team to figure it out. We're just saying that if this change happens, we will be making this much more revenue or this many more installs. So you're getting the tech leadership into the conversation, but you're leaving it up to tech to figure out how they're going to deliver it. And also, if you're talking about delivery times, it, I think the biggest, question mark is to make sure that you're not imposing a timeline on the devs, but you're working with them together to figure out the timeline. I think this is where a lot of mm-hmm. projects can fail. If it takes a lot of development work or data work, you need to make sure that the people actually executing, they have a say and they can estimate their, the amount of time that they need to work on something because they know this the best. And knowing their requirements, you as a business person need to make sure that those requirements fit with this timeline of the project and you can mm-hmm. communicate this to leadership to make sure that everybody is aligned on this timing. You can't force the timing on them. I think if you start forcing the timing on development teams, then you will get a lot of back channeling and chatter and just bad perception on your project. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. I wonder like in those, especially when you're doing like kind of projects forming teams or different teams to work together from different places and within your org like 
Yeah, incentives. I don't know if that's relevant, so we can cut it out. Oh, no, incentives are very relevant. Everybody has different incentives. Exactly. I think about incentives a lot because it's somehow it's just always the root cause of motivation Mm -hmm. to me. Like whenever I think about like what motivates people, it's like incentives and they are different and everybody coming from different place and they have different idea on what motivates them and so on and so forth. And in this case, um, I don't know if it makes it easier or harder. Like when you have one team, like let's say product team, typically uh, working on some one thing that they start with in the beginning and they work on it for years maybe and they have the, all these milestones yeah. they go through and they see the value directly of their work. And even the recognition is maybe easier because you are one team and everybody knows that you are building this thing. Um, but then when you're shifting between different projects as an individual or even maybe maybe a team, what have you done over the last four years? It's like, yeah, you look back and you have worked or contributed to four or 10 projects, but how much value you have contributed to each and in total, let's say, even for yourself, if you want to value value your, your contribution and kind of try to assess it for yourself, it might become harder perhaps or easier. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is quite difficult to assess how much value I drove exactly over the last few years i know the person i've worked on have delivered this much value most of them i know how much they've delivered actually no sorry all of them i know what what they delivered correction so if i were to talk about my achievements i would always say that i have led this project from assess the value to implementation and it drove this much value and I work with teams hmm. across different functions and I would name those functions. And together we achieve this project. I think part of like knowing the value that, that you drive is A, in this role is like, what did you actually drive at the end of the project? But also, how can you bring people together to actually work on the project? This is part of the skill set mm-hmm. that you need to have as a functional manager. And you need to be able to communicate what teams you're working with on a day-to-day basis. Can you get teams from different departments to come together? Like, it's one thing to bring together a development team with their PM to work on this project. And it's another different ball game to bring a development team, legal, brand, marketing, right, and an external company probably to come together to work mm-hmm. on a project. So do you spend a lot of time actually trying to convince teams or even individuals? Yes. So I would say my job is right now, because I always use what I've done. So this is my third version of my career, of my yeah. job. So right now, mm-hmm. I would say that I spend maybe 70% of my time working with teams internally and then 30% convincing them of things. And it's switching more to work. Mm-hmm. In the past, it was more convincing them of things and mm-hmm. other projects. So it, it always kind of changes the balance. I feel like mm-hmm. in the next couple of months, I will be doing maybe 80% convincing them to do things and 20% doing other stuff. It always changes the balance. Is this sort of a job mm. that you, you can never get comfortable? It will always change yeah, something. Yeah, it's very changing. Yeah. I, I, uh, one, one thing you brought earlier, which I really loved what you said uh, about flat, flat hierarchy, is that your role is, demands you to look at the org as flat hierarchy, regardless of the actual hierarchy in that place. Because at the end, you need buy-in from different places and you need to treat them kind of equally at yeah. that stage. Like because each buy-in counts to, to maybe different degrees, but they are all important. But do you, in general, have a feeling which parts are more or less difficult to talk to or convince or like get 
get a buy-in or is there like it's random all all depends on each project it's pretty random it depends on each project usually i would say maybe you notice some people in the org are more in the company are more open to new projects or working on new things and you know some people are less inclined to so you know that you have more selling to do for those folks i think it changes from project to project because as i said they're you're always having different people working on these projects or different teams working on these projects. And the, the team doing most of the work will always be different. So usually yeah. it's the team that has to do the work that will be most difficult to convince. The other teams, they're a bit easier to sell on. So it always mm -hmm. changes from project to project. And this is why I think it's important to make sure that everybody has their concerns and their thoughts heard and verbalized in the wider group. So that everybody's aligned of what does it mean for each team to build this, to work on this, because you want to make sure that everybody's heard and that everybody can prioritize things based on their own roadmap. I think if you're going to try to push something on any team, you can to some extent use leverage, but if you're pushing something yeah. through now, the next time you want to do something, they might become a hard blocker. Right. And you also need to think long-term. It's balancing short-term versus long-term and how much leverage do you put on a team or not. Yeah, and I think it really has a lot to do with how uh, well established your team is already, as you said, strategically um, within the leadership of the company, but also, I guess, how the culture works in general, which is hard for me to think, but I have been in different organizations uh, where this kind of work often, more often gets blocked. And that's maybe I was kind of being gentle before with recognition, but, but mm -hmm. there are a lot of decision makers at the end, they're n not deciding only on goals and value. They're also about recognition. And so if it's something that they say, if I do this, only I get credit. If we do this, we both get credit. They would, and they want to be the next star performer or mm -hmm. be seen in a certain way. Um, then I've seen people have biases in decision-making um, oh, for sure. around these cross-functional projects and, 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 and support team where you would prefer your own things and they would push for it as well. And they would do, they would socialize their own angle on it as well. And, and often, um, eventually, like I said, they have more hard power because they can at the end decide how to time things, when to meet with you, when to mm -hmm. not, how to prioritize, how to make things feel as far as how hard it is to, yeah. uh, or, or to even just drag their feet in helping you assess the opportunity. So I, I do think that it's also, you're in a, in a place where I guess this has already been established uh, culturally as valuable. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how I you think... got there. That sounds magical to me, but it is not an easy journey, I would say. <laughs> it's not an easy journey and it still happens. Um, I mean, we can get into this deeper in another episode if you guys yeah, want to though i was thinking i was yeah. thinking the same actually it would be interesting to hear like the the politics the story yeah. <laughs> and the politics yes i, I didn't want to mention politics yeah, before but, it, but again, it's I guess, politics and uh, culture it's, it's, right? it's like there, what people feel comfortable doing yeah. um yeah. that, exactly. that's, uh, that at some places the culture is in a place where you wouldn't feel comfortable doing that you might have the thought but you wouldn't feel comfortable yeah. were like acting mm. on it and there are other places where i've seen people like feel comfortable with uh with with stuff that and in other and maybe it's because i've moved moved through several organizations that i'm like kind of like have a question like i'm like what is yeah. happening here um, um, but it doesn't, it's not out of the norm for that organization. So nothing no. bad is happening there because it's how they work. Yeah. yeah. So what I've said so far, I think I try to do it without the politics angle. Yeah. 
attached to it. But obviously there's politics mm-hmm. in every company at every level. Yeah. So that always complicates things. And yeah. I've, I've encountered projects where because of politics, yeah. people, things were trying to be hindered from happening or you didn't get as much support as you wanted to get or you you would have gotten normally right and it happens the moment you mention the moment the moment you mention that relationships have that much power in your role you're already talking about some politics yeah there's politics at all levels yes there's no escape yeah uh, like from that yeah there's no escape i think the best thing you can do to drive your projects forward is have a very, very solid business case and a very, mm-hmm. very solid dollar value attached to it. And because a very they can, good communication yeah. channel to, to and, communicate yeah. those, right? And, and yeah, right. and a good relationship to, lead, to executive leadership yeah. so that you can communicate to, yeah. to the people who could actually push it top down. Yeah. You can go, mm. you can go flat hierarchy and try to push it to everybody and communicate it. But at the end of the day, if you have one person from one org trying to slow it down, Mm, it helps be yes it helps being able to go around that person to put leverage from somewhere right. else industry dollars stock that, that's kind of what i've learned mm. i've seen this go uh <laughs> not ideally in both ways because i've also seen people who are in this more uh support role trying to um drive a project who have the ear of the executives and yet haven't like what you're saying you're doing a lot of homework you're doing a lot of estimating you're doing a lot of analysis on Mm. on the value of this and i've also seen people who like have a buzzword in an idea and the ear of an executive and they can run away and i can understand i can understand the resistance of the teams to this right so it's not always this ideal so it really it sounds like if you're doing this at high professional levels from all sides everything goes well but that's not always going to be the case for everybody involved so i think a lot of what we discussed serious like this is how it could how well it could be working um yeah maybe you can try to think about it which part of it is going uh, off if if your experience yeah. of this uh, uh and and i'm talking to our listeners here if your experiences differs from what you've heard then potentially is that you know either one team isn't working hard en- enough to try to establish this or another team is has a bias towards their own work or a person even uh in all of this chain has a bias towards uh yeah, getting recognition. All of these things could, could come in the way, right? Yeah, there's so many things that could go wrong. That's, yeah. that's what makes it even more stressful is that you know it can drive value. Yeah. But you know that there's like kind of one way it can drive value yeah. because people watch you working together or there's many different ways that it could just not even start because yeah. reasons. And there's so many reasons yeah. that could happen and block a project from happening. Yeah, and, and this is, can be exactly. very frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating because you put in work and then something yeah. doesn't happen. But usually mm-hmm. there's another project that you can work on. Yeah. On the flip side, if mm-hmm. something doesn't work, there's something else that you can always work on. So maybe more uh, a personal question for concluding. Um, is it, do you personally find it more frustrating if a project you wanted to get going isn't get going or a project you wanted to get going did get going, but then something went wrong in execution? Which one of these is harder so luckily so far i didn't have a project that went wrong in execution okay well done once once they start they end up being delivered okay but nice. i think you need to have a lot of willpower to just push it through yeah. because usually you'll have blockers even once it's happening you'll have blockers from different orgs things will always happen it will never work smoothly yeah. so you need to just be perseverant you have to push it push forward every single day um 
Mm. But I would say this is proof that you do all your homeworks because I've seen so many of these types of projects in other places not necessarily have the eventually the impact that was promised because probably someone didn't like uh, estimate it quite early enough uh, as far as the potential and the risks involved. Yeah, I think it's important like if you've had experience working in production teams because you can understand the language they speak and you can establish yourself as a peer and as a support, you're not not somebody to drive to push things onto Mm -hmm. them. It does help having that level of support. Yeah, I think one of the best feedback that I've ever received that I felt like the most proud of was a engineering manager saying that Alexander understands timelines and understands people have expertise and lets them decide. She doesn't push it onto you. You can actually speak what you need to speak. Yeah, and that was super valuable because I was able to get developers to work on things on their own timeline, and that could have in a nightmare situation that they wouldn't have been able to mm. deliver on time. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. And you're in one of the most stressful industries, I would say, as well, I guess, like in game industry. Uh, yeah, right? mobile gaming. So it's really, really, really even more <laughs> stress coming from there, I guess. It's, it's um, yeah, it's been fascinating. I'm really uh, very happy to learn about this. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. Role and then the, what I perceived from just this conversation, I would say, Alex, you're working on a secret sauce here. <laughs> you're figuring out a secret sauce for management in the tech world, which will be super valuable in the future. The more we head towards tech companies, more tech companies or more, more tech products. So <laughs> uh, keep an eye on that. Yeah, thank you for saying <laughs> figure that. Figure it out. Figure <laughs> it out. And, and maybe write a book about it at some point. Uh, it would be yeah, amazing <laughs> to... to have you again and talk about some uh, stories and more like yeah maybe even the politics well as much as you can share depending on the time uh, well hit me up with topics yeah. yeah i'm happy to dive deeper into different topics yeah okay so um for, for wrap up we usually will do a quick summary where there are two variations either one of us tries to summarize everything or we kind of go around and everybody has like okay from this conversation what's the your main takeaway or takeaways since i'm the I haven't, I had no idea mm-hmm. previously. I will try to kind of describe what this I understand. This is the best. Then, you're somebody yeah. who has an, you're an unbiased observer of what is this job. Exactly. So from what I understood then, um, functional management, uh, functional here is more about like getting things done in the sense that, okay, there is a, a project, a business case that needs to be uh, owned by someone and taken to the different parties that need to work on and presented to them uh in a in a uh, in a way that you get the buy-in as well as all the uh challenges and concerns they might raise about it and uh, it's part of your job to do some people management uh, in that regard and it's part of your job to do some business decision in the sense like you are the one who is curating or filtering beforehand which business cases you bring up to to these teams and it does sound uh or as we covered, it is going to be uh, depending on the org uh, hierarchy or the different orgs that you're working with, because this involves also externals sometimes, um, whether you need to push it from the top or you reach to the top first or to the bottom first and, and all these kind of things, <laughs> partially politics and relationships is one of the essential um, uh, components to your job, I think. And then, or I understood and um which means also you there's no escape from from some politics in there, but maybe it's there are always I guess good politics as well as there is bad one. So, 
And um, yeah, the, the rest, we, we also covered a little bit how, how recognized your work is mm -hmm. and how sometimes it's difficult actually to recognize everyone working and how to assess what value each team have, has, has contributed to the overall project, uh, which might be difficult, uh, yes, but it might be just the nature of how these kind of projects are done. So, um, and you mentioned a very nice technique. I think it's, it is about constantly mentioning or, or, or communicating your success and the progress you're making on the values you have previously communicated that you all, you, you're, you're trying to tackle or bring uh, to all these different orgs and uh, communicate this across the orgs and to the teams so that everybody feels first know about it and uh, second you can mention call out names or call out teams so that you, you're recognizing each team effort into the whole thing what else have we covered i think yeah i think that's most of it we talked a little bit about the skills and how you prepare a project um which sounded incredible to me um and yeah i think a little bit of more of the experiences of actually doing this with different levels and and socializing it cool well, thanks a lot, Alex. That was really insightful and interesting to hear about. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. I think lots of our listeners might be intrigued to learn more. <laughs> so how, where might they find you? Where are you active the most? I'm actually not that active. I, I keep saying that I need to start tweeting more because <laughs> I, I have a Twitter account, but it has not had anything I didn't even know it. you have it. Let me follow you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I actually need to check out what my handle is because I yeah. have no idea. It's been that long. <laughs> <laughs> but if anybody wants to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, alexandra.paun, P-A-U-N, and I will respond on LinkedIn. Awesome. Until I get my Twitter up and running. Yeah, we will we'll include both links in, in the description as well. Yeah, and uh, we're Tech Point Charlie. Uh, I guess you can find us where you found this episode. Uh, we're on lots of platforms. And uh, yeah, we tweet at, at techpoint Char tech underscore C. And we're on LinkedIn. And uh, we also have techpointcharlie.blog uh, in case you haven't uh, seen that before. And we're usually tweeting all sorts of small things about like questions we have as we're coming up with ideas for episodes. Or sometimes we send swag out to people. So please follow us and reach out to us. We really like talking to uh, you directly and, and making sure that we're yeah, sharing what's, what's interesting to everybody. So please reach out to us. Anything else, Ala? Stay safe and healthy and uh, see you next time. Yeah, and thank you, Alexandra. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Alex.